Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act Two Interlude. What the fuck? What? We were not prepared for an interlude. We're never prepared for the interlude. So I've got a short story for you. In fact, I have stories tucked within stories. Mm. Like our last interlude, we're going to look at events significant to the lives of Dora, Grip, Roni, and Ray, and at some of the people who have touched those lives. And, like in our last interlude, there will be parts for you to read and parts for you to play. (laughs) Here we go. Pass these out. (laughs) All right. Everybody set? Yep. Yep. And here we go. Picture the moment. 39 years ago. 22 years ago. 19 years ago. 13 years ago. Picture the moment. The scene. A blue tiled floor. A steep wet alleyway. A natural amphitheater. Beneath the eaves of the Wailing House. Imagine the held potential energy. This moment shivers with possibility. A nine-year-old child clutches a long, sharp knitting needle. A nine-year-old child hefts a burning torch. A nine-year-old child grips a jagged shard of volcanic black rock. A nine-year-old child wraps a length of chain around his hand. They were steered, guided, forced into this moment. Forced by... The Baron. The Headmaster. The Chieftain. The Doctor. And then something terrible happens. The needle stabs out. The torch flies. The rock swings. The chain closes tight. A loss. And nothing was ever the same again. She wanders away, nearly blinded by her tears. He stumbles down the dead-end alleyway. He lashes out in desperation. He runs from the Wailing House. Into the arms of the stranger. And into a life they never chose for themselves consequence. Now, it wasn't a coincidence that the stranger was there that day. And it's no coincidence that she's where we see her tonight, consumed with matters of loss and consequence. The stranger stands over a corpse. It's unclear when this is happening. The the stranger doesn't really age, so this could be yesterday or it could be a hundred years ago. Through the gaps in the straps of yellow silk binding the top half of her face, she stares down at a body. The scarf covering the bottom of her face wriggles in what we assume must be a crooked little smile on whatever passes for her mouth. From a pack, she produces a contraption. It looks like a vice or a a set of clamps. Brass plates with screws. Ten inches by ten inches. And there's this horrible fleshy tube and what appears to be like what we would think of as an ignition key and a series of metal toggle switches. She clamps the plates around the corpse's head Tightens, 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 tightens the screws. Flicks one of the metal switches. The plates 
complete the tightening action on their own accord and squeeze the head in a death grip. The body shakes and convulses and lets out a hard, hollow, rasping scream. But the stranger soon shoves the awful fleshy tube into the mouth and down the throat, muffling the sound. She flicks switches, winds the key, watching dispassionately as the corpse quivers and shakes, and then finally goes limp. She leans close to it. I've come to learn that there are many projects I was unaware of. The corpse's eyes dart suddenly and spasmically and lock with hers. You will tell me now what was he up to? And the corpse obeys. Their chest moves, pushing air through the lungs, up the fleshy tube, into the brass box, and their voice comes out of the box in a grating, buzzing, metallic drone. And the corpse tells a story, a story that we will tell together, inside of this story. So in our last interlude, we explored a significant nexus point involving two of the figures that drew the original party together, Dr. Gulliver Vaticus and The Stranger. Today, we're going to tell a story about the third figure I mentioned last interlude, Count Hazerton Pragmus Lowell's IV, and the time that he and Vaticus brought a group of adventurers on a dangerous quest. I mean, you got to have red shirts to throw in front of you, don't you? Somebody's got to take the bullets for the esteemed ruler of Versex County. So let's hear their story. Tonight's group of disposable alternate versions of characters you already know and love. <laughs> yes! Who will survive so I can make you kill them later? Oh, this is Only not going to be good. time will tell. <laughs> if, if it's... If you... <laughs> Here we go. A group of unlikely allies were shaped by the trials of their youths and settled into a very unconventional life together. On the battlefield, their prowess was unmatched. Their skills and abilities meshed in a way that was difficult to defeat. It meshed in a way that made their makeup almost archetypal. There was a reason that the combo of fighter, rogue, cleric, and wizard is held up as the gold standard. It works, it just works. Especially when you add in a fifth for support, like they did. They were unbeatable. They were a machine. Now, off the battlefield, they didn't always agree on everything. They didn't always share priorities. One of them was continuously torn between seeing to the excruciating minutia of their day job and pursuing incredibly complicated crafting goals. They'd have happily... <laughs> they'd have happily done that forever and saw the kind of work that adventurers do to be an obstacle to their true fulfillment. Another, the wizard, was from a ravaged land of arcane and technological marvels. They preferred to keep to themselves. They liked to study and read. It calmed them. There were forces of anger and rage deep within them that weren't always productive or under their control. The rogue was especially private. Very few knew much about their past or what they did when the others weren't around. 
or why they liked to pull things apart with their bare hands so much. The cleric was haunted, haunted by the past, memories, spirits perhaps. The dead walked beside them and they did not find comfort in their presence. And the fighter? A brute, a drunken lout, muscle, pure and simple. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> not a bunch of friends, really. But when they were on task, they were formidable, nearly unstoppable. And at this point in their timeline, they had reached fifth level. What a coincidence, hey. huh? <laughs> and they were on a mission. One of the many missions the Count had cooking in those days. Let's get an actual date stamp here. It is three years ago, the month of Serenith, or June, in the year 4715. Now, on paper, the mission was straightforward. You were tasked with escorting Lowell's across a vast desert to protect him on the dangerous road to a hermit known only as the Mad Poet. Lowell's was searching for something. He didn't know exactly what. And he believed this mad poet could help him in some way. Maybe he knew where the thing was or he knew who to ask. The what's and the how's of it all weren't totally clear to you. It, it wasn't your job to know the what's and the how's. Your job was simply to keep the Count alive. We'll get to the battle that we're going to play out here tonight as quickly as possible. The path here was very long, but I'll give you just what you need to know to have the necessary context for what we're going to do here. And our journey began at a caravanserai. I know Katie <laughs> knows that word. Do the rest of you know it? It's essentially, uh, it's a place, an inn or a, or a hotel or some other structure where merchants and travelers trekking across a desert can stop and safely rest for the night. Sometimes often they're located by an oasis. Sometimes they're just able to keep enough stock of food and water and whatever necessaries their visitors require. How you all met Lowell's and Vaticus and how you all got all the way here to the Caravanserai is a story for another day. It all took some doing, though. You understood that it had been years of Lowell's life to even learn of this Caravanserai and to determine that this distant, distant, remote location in the deepest wastes of a super colossal desert, that this spot was the last thing approaching what one could call civilization when one made the journey to see the mad poet. Your stop at the caravanserai was brief but memorable. It's a two-story pale stone building filled with a riot of guests, all of them on the run from or to something or someone, a true hive of scum and villainy. You fed and watered your mounts in the central open-air courtyard after checking in with the burly agents who assessed the group's taxes and fees and divested you of all your weapons and wands and components for the safety of everyone, they said. Anyone breaking the peace here would meet the business end of the guard's vorpal scimitars, you were assured. You restocked your water supplies inside the cool chamber with the decorative basin held aloft by carved humanoid-shaped statues depicted with tightly closed eyes. You passed the sundry shop, filled at that moment with the sound of screams, as someone had just been caught stealing and was being swiftly and mercilessly divested of his hands. 
You passed three more delicate basins in the dining room where travelers brokered alliances and hatched plots and dreamed of their lost lives. You passed the baths and spoke with the cursed bookkeeper, or Lowell's and Vaticus did, at least. And up the stairs you went to Lowell's rented room, the last beds and comforts you'd see before the final push back into the sandy wastes. You rested, watched over by beautiful paintings, one of a many-spired city with marble walls and brass gates, one of a flat, wind-swept waste beneath a distant, ominous mountain, one of a gloomy port city constructed entirely of basalt. You slept, and Lowell's worked at the desk, making notes, preparing for his meeting with the mad poet. He was feeling good. He was feeling confident. A little sweaty, a little twitchy, sure, but, but prepared. And the next day, you left for the Mad Poet's Oasis. None of you were really built for this environment, not even the fighter who should have fared better. After time, your stock of magical protections were insufficient to weather the conditions. After time, your mounts failed and faltered and fell, but you'd passed the point of no return. And finally, after an incomprehensible, incalculable amount of time, you reached your destination. Beneath the shadow of an immense tree, a small gray wooden hut stood next to a glistening pool. The ominous low-hanging moon, too low-hanging, too close. The moon felt like you could reach out and touch it. This crisp and low and eerie moon was reflected in the pool, making it seem like two moons hung in the air this night. Lowell's called out, and the tree hoisted its roots out of the sand and advanced to meet you. And it emitted this awful, low, grating, pulsing hum that sent sound waves through the sand and into your bones. As it lumbered forward, it became clear to you all that the huge lumpy fruits hanging from its branches were heads, humanoid heads, and you recognized all of them. And with this tree, with rotting heads for fruit, your party did battle to protect Count Hazerton Pragmas Lowell's IV. I think it's time to meet who you'll be playing tonight. Let's introduce them into the mix, and you can tell us a little bit about them. I'll add their character sheets to your screens in a uh, second here. Just uh, read the name first. Katie, who are you playing tonight? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Say it. Tima and Taya. Who else do you have? Oh. Reynard. Wow. Robert. Riptus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Johnny will be playing. The Triangle Man. And last, certainly not least, my dear friend, Polly. Ray Vaticus. All right. We'll talk about where they're at this point. 
This is catching them at a moment in their development where kind of all of them are at a midway point towards something. So some of you might be seeing characters that will feel uh, a little weirdly underpowered because you haven't fully seen their entire progression. Paul, let's talk about your character. Oh, okay. What is your character's class? Uh, Ray Vaticus is a cleric of Zonkuthan. Fifth level. Fifth level cleric of Zonkuthan. As you look at your feet selection, do you see familiar things or new things? Some familiar things like um, selective channeling mm-hmm. and extra channeling. Is this a uh, channel positive energy or is it? No. Oh, no. It's not changed to <laughs> uh, channel negative energy, right? Father Ray Vaticus channels negative energy. So, unlike Ray, who would have used selective channeling to keep enemies out of his healing, yeah. Father Ray uses selective channeling to keep allies out of the blasts of negative energy he uses to destroy people with. Yes. You've got a familiar trait there, your armor expert trait, but most all of you would have your campaign trait gone and replaced by something else. What what do you have there for your second trait there, Polly? Focused discipline. Gain a plus two bonus on all saving throws against fear effects. Whenever a fear effect targets you and fails to affect you, either because of a successful saving throw or an immunity to fear, you gain a plus two morale bonus on attack rolls, weapon damage rolls, and CMB checks against the chief, the creature that attempted to use the fear effect on you for one round. That's dope. <laughs> so as a cleric, <laughs> you are radiating auras of law and evil. Yeah. You meditate for spells at midnight. You can, spon- you can lose non-domain spells to cast inflict spells. You cannot cast or prepare spells with a chaotic or good alignment. You can channel negative energy eight times a day. What are your what are your two clerics get two domains? What are your domains there, Polly? Ray has the domain of death and the domain of evil. With the chitin subtype, a chitin mm-hmm. is a chain devil. Mm. So, what are your uh, you've got abilities that go along with those? Yeah. So, with the death domain, I can make creatures bleed with a touch attack. And with the other one? I can make creatures sickened with a touch attack. Nice, nice, nice. As you look through your equipment there, a lot of it looks probably pretty familiar, except for you now know what Horflame was when it was at its full potency. It was a plus one cruel gray flame morning star. Cruel is that when uh, the wielder strikes a creature that is frightened, shaken, or panicked, that creature becomes sickened for a round. When the wielder uses a weapon to knock unconscious or kill a creature, he gains five temporary hit points that last for 10 minutes. And what does the gray flame property do? This weapon responds to channeled positive and negative energy When the wielder spends a swift action to channel energy through the weapon, it ignites with a strange gray flame that sheds light as a torch, increasing the weapon's enhancement bonus by plus one and deals 1d6 damage uh, as the divine power from flame strike to creatures struck by the weapon. This flame lasts for a round for every d6 of damage or healing the channel normally provides. When charged with positive energy, the flame is silvery gray. Right. (laughs) When charged with negative negative energy, the flame is an ashen gray. Evil creatures are immune to the weapon's extra damage, and the weapon counts as evil and cold iron for the the purpose of bypassing damage reduction. Shoo-wee. 
So um, I've prepared Father Ray's spells for him. Take a look through there. You're probably mm-hmm. going to see a few familiar ones and a few that are not familiar at all. And we'll uh, we'll save those to be revealed in mm-hmm. combat. But why don't you take a look at them yourself there? Yes. Hey, Rip Tusk. Aye. Tell us about what his class is. Fourth level fighter, first level unchained barbarian. Yes, and so timeline-wise, that barbarian level would have come first. That was his upbringing. And then once uh, he began to advance in experience, he did switch over to fighter mode. Yep, uh, looks like um, this battle axe that was maybe broken that he found in uh, chapter one. <laughs> Tell us about that. Uh, I'm not crazy about the name of it. Robert's not. Um, it is a plus one fury born battle axe named Dog Reaver. Uh, fury born weapon draws power from the anger and frustration the wielder feels when battling foes that refuse to die. <laughs> Each time the wielder damages an opponent with the weapon, its enhancement bonus increases by plus one when making attacks against that opponent to a maximum total bonus of plus five. That's amazing. So if I attack the same guy five rounds in a row and yeah. hit him or just attack him? Um, uh, when you damage damages, it. I, I could go up an additional plus five. Um, this goes away if the opponent dies or if I use the weapon to attack a different creature or after an hour. So that's pretty boss. Yeah. Um, so you've got the anatomist trait that we already know about. You've got uh-huh. a different trait replacing your thing. You've got, what's this one? A brute... Uh, I get a plus one trait bonus on intimidate checks, and intimidate is always a class bonus. Right. Um, what else? Oh, I can rage because I'm a barbarian. Yep. I can rage eight times a day. And you move fast. And I move fast. Yeah. Um, what is it? Uh, plus ten. Yeah. So you, you move. You got a forty speed. Uh, brave. I've got a bravery ability. Uh, plus one against will saves against fear. But then the fighters thing is they get a whole bunch of extra feats. So what kind of what feats are you sitting on? Uh, feats are, I mean, they're pretty straightforward yeah. for what I'm looking it's, at. It's but very fightery. Pa- power attack, weapon focus, battle axe, improved bull rush, advanced armor training, studded leather. I'm wearing spiked studded leather armor. Uh, weapon specialization, battle axe, and improved initiative. And improved initiative is in your level five slot. And Johnny would also notice the same same thing in the Triangle Man. This is a choice the two of them made at fifth level. Both of you were probably building towards something together. You made a decision to try to act as quickly as possible together at the start of every fight. What else, Robert? We did Dog Reaver. He's also, he's sporting a cloak of resistance and a belt of giant strength. Oh, yes. And look, let's, uh, Ray's got, uh, Ray has got an ability enhancement item. What does he have? A headband of inspired wisdom plus two. Yeah, so... Johnny had brought up the question at one point earlier. Uh, was he a cleric? His wisdom is not super, super high. And it seems as though Ray had made a decision to become a cleric despite where his wisdom was at and was working at obtaining items to increase his wisdom for the life choice he had made. Johnny, talk to us about the Triangle Man. He is a, an unchained rogue kind of your standard rogue, but you you get a a little extra special stuff with some talents, and you get a little extra special stuff with your sneak attack where you can do a debilitating injury. So when you sneak attack in addition to your regular sneak attack, you also can kind of stick it to whoever you sneak attacked. And you can either bewilder them, where they take a minus two to their AC, or disoriented, 
where they take a minus two on their attack rolls, or hampered, where you can basically um, make their speed reduced and they cannot take a five-foot step. This was the thing that uh, Reese did to Ray when she killed him. Hmm. Tell us about your talents. The talents are, I got to admit, a little weird. I have hairpin trick, which is basically making do with anything she can find. She takes no penalty on disabled device checks for using improvised tools and can attempt such checks without any tools, any minus four penalty. She treats all non-improvised thieves tools as masterwork and doubles the bonus she gets from masterwork thieves tools from plus two to plus four. I spent a lot of time making sure that he would never be kept in chains. Mm -hmm. And then talent, one of those faces. Uh, Each day you can use disguise self as a spell-like ability for up to 10 minutes per character level. This duration need not be continuous, but it must be used in 10-minute increments. Additionally, once you have used this ability, whenever you use it for the next 24 hours, you must take the same alternate appearance. You could literally turn into other people for up to an hour per day. My signature skill mm-hmm. as a rogue is disguise. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of your feats probably look pretty pretty standard roguey, right? Yeah. Dodge, mobility, improved initiative, weapon yep. finesse, yep. and deceitful. Tell us about the black rapier. Ah, uh, yes. A plus one heartseeker human bane rapier. Mm. <laughs> we seem like a nice bunch. <laughs> and what's the name of it? Heartsbane. Yeah. So tell us about heartseeker. A Heartseeker weapon is drawn unerringly toward beating hearts. A Heartseeker weapon ignores the mischance for concealment against most living targets, though the attack must still target the proper square. This special ability does not apply against aberrations, oozes, plants, outsiders with the elemental subtype, or any creature specifically noted to lack a heart. And then Bane... (laughs) So Tima. There you go. Uh, a Bane weapon excels against certain foes against a designated foe, such as humans. The weapon's enhancements bonus is plus two better than its actual bonus. It also deals an additional 2d6 points of damage against such foes. Yeah, so you sneak attack a human, you're doing 6d6 plus like five damage, just like that. Yeah. It's crazy. Hey, let's talk about Team Montea. Uh. Yeah. Wildly different, Dora. Yeah. Um, Team is a fifth level wizard, a specialist in the school of um, divination. With the sub school. The sub school, which I've never heard of, of Scryer. Mm hmm. Um, feats are completely different. Yeah. Silent spell, scribe school, alertness, skill focus, knowledge arcane, still spell, uh, brew potion. I still have the possessed trait, but uh, my other campaign trait has been replaced with desperate focus, which has a nice little description. You've often found yourself in situations where a lack of focus can lead to worse than a lost spell. You gain a plus two concentration, uh, a plus two trait bonus to concentration checks. Um, I have a couple of cool little things down here. Yeah. Uh, forewarned. This is part of the, uh, the divination school. Mm-hmm. You can always act in the surprise round, even if you fail to make a perception roll to notice a foe, but you're still considered flat-footed until you take an action. In addition, you receive a bonus on initiative checks equal to half your wizard level, minimum plus one. 20th level, anytime you roll initiative, assume the roll resulted in a natural 20. Oh. <laughs> and, and the other one. Um, send senses. I, I love this one. As a standard action, you place a scrying sensor at a point within medium range, which you can see and have a line of effect to. 
You can see or hear, not both, through this sensor for a number of rounds equal to half your wizard, wizard level, uh, minimum one. Sensor otherwise functions as a clear audience, clairvoyance spell with a caster level equal to your wizard level. You can use this ability a number of times a day equal to three plus your intelligence modifier. Wearing a headband of vast intelligence. Yep. The um, robe is fun. The robe of components. Uh, the pockets of this simple blue robe always seem to carry just what the wearer needs whenever she casts mm. a spell. The robe functions as a spell component pouch, providing any components or focuses that are necessary for the wearer's spell casting. The robe can even produce spell components or focuses with a specific cost, though it provides no more than 50 GP worth of such materials in any single day. You also have a sheet for Reynard, who is your actual familiar, mm. and you can cast uh, touch spells through Reynard okay. and uh, speak with him and so forth. And you've got a bunch of spells prepared, some of which probably look familiar, and some of which uh, are, which are things that Dora could never cast. Yeah. And, and this Reynard will, will really listen to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you will, still won't understand what we're saying. <laughs> I did want to throw in one other thing that I thought was interesting oh, on my please sheet. Do. Please do. Which is uh, my additional trait that I got, as opposed to my campaign mm. trait, is grief-filled, which says... You are no stranger to loss and intense emotions. You gain a plus two trait bonus on all saving throws against emotion spells and effects. That's fun. Um, That's fun. What's everybody's alignment? <laughs> Guess. <laughs> Is everybody neutral evil? I don't remember now. Neutral Pro- probably evil? Probably not. Probably not. I'm no, chaotic evil. Okay, there we go. I am neutral evil. As am I. Yeah. Yeah. Whole bunch of neutral evil. So... It's three years ago, and unlike with Riddle, Longfist, Jane, and Tyrrell, whose fates we knew nothing about, and I was content to let whatever happened happen, uh, obviously we do have a sense, generally speaking, about how this encounter ended. But tonight we're going to focus on the journey and let the destination take care of itself. This is an opportunity to just play around and see how these characters at this point in their lives may have fought together. What did they do? How did they do it? Whatever happens here will become canon, and I've got my sights set on a way to use these choices in the future, kind of like how I used what you did in the Carcosa dream at the top of chapter one to shape stories of what happened to you as kids. I got a similar thing I'm cooking on. So obviously you don't yet know who exactly these people were then, but that's okay. This will just give you a chance to make some instinctive choices with their kind of quirky ability sets. And I'll find ways to weave in stuff with whatever happens. And I, I'm giving you full access to their sheets so you know all their powers and their gear. And, I, and I'll tell you this, at this time period, this moment, this is them at the height of their compatibility as a cohesive fighting machine. We're learning that in recent days, things may have been very, very different. Relationships may have started to fall apart. But this is not that moment. They are a team. Uh, Do they love each other? I don't think they even think about that word. Do they know each other very well, and do they work very well together? Absolutely, 100%. Would they sacrifice themselves for one of the others? They can look at your alignment to make that choice for yourself. But would they go out of their way to make sure that the team pulled through? 100%. 100%. The, this would be before we had any knowledge that a certain cleric might have tried to take out a hit on a certain. Hundred percent. This is okay. three years ago. This <laughs> okay, is, this is way ago. before. This is way before many of the events okay. of the campaign. All right. What about the inmost blot? 
<laughs> we'll leave that. Uh, we'll leave that an open question at the moment. And and in terms of our actual loyalty to uh, Count Lowell's at this moment. Yes. Are we hired guns? Are are we true believers? Like, what is it? You have reason to believe that should he fall, you may never get back home. Like, very, very good reason to believe that. That part of how, part of your escape route is tied up with him. Mounts are all dead. Supplies are all gone. You are so far away. He is somehow your key, and I can't say much more about it than that. So everyone's opinion of him would be multi-layered, however committed to making sure he gets out of this. Is that clear enough? We have to keep him alive. Yes. Yeah. But other than that... Yeah. And you know, it's it's bad. You're, you are very, very far away from anyone or anything. Like the four of you would probably be thinking of like, it, it's on us to get ourselves out of this. Vaticus is also there, and he is a part of this group, though I think everyone's relationship with him is also complicated. None of these, none of these individuals at this time would try to kill him, but none of these individuals, I don't think think would necessarily go too far out of their way to protect him. Unlike Lowell's. We don't consider him mission critical. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yes. Yes. He's, uh, he is way down on the mission priority list. Okay. Let me bring you to a map. I'll allow it. <laughs> hey, and there's a good chance these characters might live. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's already canon. These are the backup backups. Okay. We are in the sheltered valley of a whole bunch of very tall sand dunes. At an oasis, there is a pool that is mirroring the moon in the night sky there. It is night, but everybody can see. There's this giant, giant tree standing between you and this hut. Everybody see where the hut is on the north end of the map there? Yep. Very small hut. It's like 15 feet by 10 feet. So the order here is uh, the brave and valiant Count Lowell's skulking way, way, way <laughs> in the back, the southwest corner of this map. The next line in front of him, uh, husband and wife, Dr. Vaticus and Tima Antea, along with Reynard. Next, their son, Father Ray. And then the duo of the Triangle Man and Rip Tusk, a scant 15 feet away from this towering, towering tree. Let me give you some art for this tree. It gets better than the token with the heads on it? Well, the token art is fun, but I found one that is... So the token one is like the one out of the 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 bestiary that has it in it. So that's this. But, you know, that, that version of it... I think this creature, if I'm not mistaken, comes from Japanese mythology. Mm. So uh, this feels a little bit more northern in flavor. I've got another one here that oh, isn't that yeah. gorgeous. It's That's like this so creepy bone white tree split like with legs, and then it's just it is a sea of bone white head fruit. <laughs> so disturbing. The piece that you're showing us right now is very exalted in its oh. terms of artwork. Oh, yeah, cool. 
Cool, cool, cool. Disconcerting. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh... Let's roll some initiative! Woohoo! I'm gonna roll for Vaticus. So interesting seeing these feet choices. Yeah. Yeah, see if you can guess over the next few weeks what she's building towards. Tima. 22. Ray. 6. There we go. <laughs> Rip Tusk. 13. And the Triangle Man. 24. Do you want to identify some magic items for old time's sake? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or not identify some magic Wait, items does he, for old time's oh, sake? Look at skills. Look at skills. Yeah. At least one of you is going to find something super weird. And I'm curious, Paul, if he has spellcraft at all at this level. He might not. Not even. Here's here's an odd thing. Yeah, there we go. That's it. <laughs> Rip Tusk apparently has two ranks in knowledge religion. Ooh. Fascinating. Hmm. Hmm. I don't have any surprises. I, I am lacking diplomacy. No surprise there. Yeah, no spellcraft yep. at all. Yep. And uh, but uh, ranks in disguise. Mm-hmm. And bluff. Yeah. There might I have, be a couple of weird things for you, Johnny. I have one rank in linguistics, which makes me go, hmm. What? I'm, language I'm, did you need to learn? Exactly. <laughs> what language did I need to learn? Okay. So we have moved into position here. The front line, Triangle Man and Rip Tusk are 15 feet away from this tree. As this moment gets tense, the tree is lumbering forward, the ground shaking beneath your feet. Round one. I mean, I'm just going to cast mage armor so I don't dive. <laughs> no, I know. Oh, oh, that's a good point. Uh, approaching this hut, you'd have mage armor cast. Right. Is there any long-term mm. buffs? Those would be cast. You knew you were heading towards danger. You weren't ex necessarily expecting a fight, but you knew it was going to be dangerous. Uh, I'd probably be invisible. i buy that. i yeah. buy it. Do it. I could give everyone a guidance. Great. Great. Take it. I don't suppose you have blessed, do you? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but I Bane. do have Bane. There yeah. we go. Yeah. So round one will indeed begin with the Triangle Man. Johnny, as this round begins, that, that low, persistent, grating, shaking hum, traveling, like sending sound waves through the sand is something that he feels in deep, deep, deep in his bones at the start of his turn. Give me a will save. Would this be a strong emotion by any chance? Yes. Excellent. That's going to be a 15. And... The Triangle Man is shaken with fear. So it's a condition we know well. Minus two penalty on attack rolls, saving throws, skill checks, and ability checks. All right. So as the fear cascades through the ground into the Triangle Man's bones, the invisible Triangle Man, what does he do to begin this combat? Does this thing look like it might have reach? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, does it ever. It has towering, so it's taking up a 15-foot space on our map, so it's a huge creature, and judging the lengths of, it, of its branches as it's swinging those rotting head fruit around, you would assume it could, you're probably right now just out of its reach. Big old 15-foot reach. Does it look like it will throw those heads? 
unknown. Oh, does does the Triangle Man have knowledge of any interest here? Knowledge of nature, I believe. No, he okay. doesn't. He just okay. has local. Okay. All right. Well, he would uh, he would move to he's going to move to a flanking position invisibly, and hope that he is able to just get there, and then he's going to uh, attack it with Heartseeker because that's what he does. Okay. So the Triangle Man moves around the west side of the tree, skirting the edges of this very, very still, very, very reflective pool outside the Mad Poet's Hut. As the Triangle Man moves, a branch lashes out at you, but not in a way that you would guess might indicate blind sight, perhaps blind sense, as though it's perhaps sensing the movement, your movement across the Mm, sand. mm -hmm. So it makes an attack, but you're going to have full concealment. And this is a slam attack, hitting armor class 19. That is a miss. All right. So a branch covered in head fruit lashes out, slams down into the sand, but the triangle man invisibly ducks underneath it and moves around to the other side, hoping to get into a flanking position. And then I'm going to attack since All right. it hasn't moved. It should be uh, easier to hurt right now. So I'm going to oh, do it was, that. It was flat-footed. It couldn't take that attack. Oh, there, there you go. go. There we go. Hey, how about that? We've forgotten how sneak attack works. We haven't done <laughs> it in so long. It's been so long. <laughs> All right. Take an attack with Heartsbane. Boom. Does a 19 hit? A 19 is a hit. Then it does 10 piercing and then... 12 additional sneak attack. Wow. 22 points of damage? Yep. They confirm that plants take... They do. All right. Yep. Heartsbane slides into the side of this colossal tree, spraying a gout of blood Mm. all over the Triangle Man. Warm, wet, sticky blood. This This is a person who knows very well the feel of human blood, and it feels eerily... Eerily, eerily like human blood. Does it take an additional 2d6 since it might be have human blood to <laughs> no, it? No, it does uh, not. I appreciate the flavor human blood. blood. I appreciate the question. That's just flavor human blood. And it is also now uh, disoriented, which means it takes a minus two penalty on attack rolls, and it takes a minus two penalty, an additional minus two penalty for a total of minus four on attack rolls against me. Oh, wow. For the next round. Okay, Sweet. and you're visible now, right? I'm now visible. So the tree had been lumbering towards the party, feels this stab in its side, responds with this huge gouting gush of blood, whips around and stares down at you. All of the branches begin to quiver and shake in the air. And then the triangle man's consciousness merges for a brief moment with the consciousness of the tree as he feels tendrils probing deeper and deeper and deeper into his mind and then he sees and shares with the tree a vision a vision from decades ago he's he's nine years old he's standing in a steep wet alley after a break in the storm the air is salty and foul he hurls the torch up 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 into the headmaster's window and time briefly freezes 
as he notices the cluster of small heads looking down at him from the second-story dormitory. Kids. Dozens of kids. They're all still in there. What the hell? And then, shoot! Triangle Man is left wobbling on his feet as you all notice a new fruit grow from the tree. It's the Triangle Man's head. That is a standard action from the tree. The tree That is a standard mindfuck from the tree. (laughs) And then the whole tree shimmers and shakes the head fruits, and you see just like like spores cascade in a 60-foot shower in all directions. Does this get everybody? Buddy, I didn't. I didn't map this. Yeah, of course it does. Let's see. Sixty feet. Yeah. Like everybody below. I did not plan that. Sounds about right. (laughs) All creatures in the area must make a will save. Okay, this includes Vaticus. Will this be a strong emotional one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This would. This would apply. Vaticus uh, just got a natural one, y'all. Uh-oh. Is this a fear effect? Guess this who else has a... got a, a natural one? Uh-oh. Not a fear effect. Okay. Okay, uh, Ray. 29. Yes. Wow. Seriously? Yes. Holy crap. Uh, Ray is unaffected. Nice headband. Rip Tusk. I bet this was good. That was a seven. Tima? Tima got a 23. Uh-huh. Uh, Reynard uh-huh. got a 10. Ooh, and then Triangle Man, I believe, got a natural, natural one. Natural one for okay. a total of uh, four with the shaken and then an additional plus two, so six. Triangle Man, yeah. Rip Tusk, Reynard, and Dr. Vaticus are all captivated by the sight of this tree. They see those fruit as the most delicious, tempting object they've ever seen in their lives. They will now take no actions except to approach the tree via the most direct route possible. Now, if this tree ever attacks any of you, you immediately get a new saving throw. But that's what those characters... What do we do when we get to the tree? I will tell you when Mm. you get there. (laughs) Uh, Let me just... let Let me... Uh, foreshadow by saying how delicious the rotting head fruit looks <laughs> to you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What if you're already at the tree? Uh, we'll find out next turn. Oh, great. Tima Antea, you are up. You are not within 30 feet of the tree, so you feel that sense of the sonic waves traveling through the sand, but they are not pummeling you physically in the same way that they did the Triangle Man. How far are you away from that tree? What are you, like, 50 feet? Yeah, 40 feet from its edge, 50 feet from its center. You see Reynard as uh, kind of, like, something's dropped out of Reynard, and it looks like the the poor beast is going to start heading towards the tree. Same as your husband. Is it a move action to pick up Reynard? Sure. I pick up Reynard. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. Step back five feet. Uh huh. And I fireball that tree. <laughs> yes. Because why waste any time? Why would you not? But I will avoid the triangle man. 
Yep. And Rip Tusk, so I'll place oh, it yeah. at such a point. Oh, absolutely. So you're just lofting it off to the east there, so it won't hit yeah. either of your party members. That's right. All right, so the tree gets a reflex save, which I'm sure it's going to just rock at. Natural one. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That certainly fails. Roll up that damage. So what is oh, it? Oh, how the Five apple D6. has fallen this time. 17 fire. 17 points of fire damage cascade over the tree. Y'all are doing some um, very impressive amounts of damage. And may I make a knowledge check on mm-hmm. this? This is knowledge nature. 31. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Tima recognizes this as a Jinmenju. So they are a uh, remarkably intelligent and crafty plant creature that is known for (laughs) using its fruit to emit an odor that draws prey to it and encourages them to eat the head fruit, which then devastatingly poisons their mind and confuses them. Whereupon... it eats them. What, what happens when you burn that fruit? That's that, that's good for you. Yeah. Um, you you are aware that it has the ability to forcibly share memories with creatures, so as to effectively. That's how it creates more fruit. Yeah. So it keeps itself alive by eating people, and it creates more fruit to the fruit of sin. Uh huh. Exactly. That's so high. Let's see. So you know, you know about the drone within thirty feet. Um, that is a will saver be shaken. The stench is sixty feet. You know about that. You know about the head fruits. They're going to poison you. Is it vulnerable to fire? It is not vulnerable to fire, but it has. You know, it has no. It's immune to poison, but it has no uh, immunities other than no immunities or damage reduction to anything except for just the normal plant stuff, which is mind affecting effects. Paralysis, poison, polymorph, sleep, and stun. It's kind of like a big tank. Big, big tank that can hit real hard and draw you in to poison you. But it, um, you know, it's so far it's taken, what, like 30-some points of damage. You're able to, you're able to hurt it. That's big, big strength to it? Uh, yeah, close to 30. Yeah. Okay. Well, right, then. I've taken all my actions. When oh. you described it having human-like blood, but it doesn't, does it bleed? It does bleed. Good to know. <laughs> Too bad this isn't other, Tima. Vaticus begins moving towards the tree. Oh, you idiot. Tima says. Boy, these particular characters at this moment in time may have different feelings than you all have, but I'm sure it's satisfying for you all to watch this fucking asshole walk <laughs> right up to the tree. Double move standing next to it, holding its arm, his arms up, reaching for the fruit, which he will attempt to grab next round. Rip Tusk, you are up, starting off with a will save from you because the drone is affecting you. 17. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. No. Familiar state. Shake it. Uh, oh, and you, and you failed the... Nice uh, you failed the... Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, Rip Tusk closes with the tree. Boom. Boom. <laughs> oh my god, that's a single move, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Let's see if you can beat the 
magical compulsion to eat a head fruit. Give me another will save. <laughs> nope. That was a two on the die for a four. Oh, all right. You see Rip Tusk reach up, pull off one of these pale, pale human head looking fruits. What does take... it look, who does it look like? Singy. Yeah. Now. It looks like uh, it resembles Christoph Van Horten's head. <laughs> and Rip Tusk takes a huge bite out of it. Give me a fortitude save. Oh, fort, this is better, right? Yes. Um, that's a uh, 30. Oh, wow. Okay. This is the thing I forgot with the centipedes. On initial exposure to poison, regardless of whether or not the save succeeds, the victim takes an amount of poison damage equal to... Five points of poison damage, but you appear to fight off the effects of the poison. It just courses through your blood, burning, 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 but uh, doesn't seem to affect your state of mind. How long am I captivated by this tree, though? Like, am I going to just keep eating heads? You, after that, after taking that disgusting bite out of that fruit. It was delicious. You now recognize how disgusting what you just did was, and you are no longer compelled to grab and eat head fruit. That's that's maybe the weirdest sentence I've ever uttered. (laughs) I I can't believe that's true. No, not for long. Ray, you are up. Let's see, distance-wise. Oh, look at that. Okay, you are not, you don't have to make a save against the sonic waves at this point. Cool. Okay. Ray stays 30 feet away from this tree of heads, points his whore flame at the tree and uh, casts channel negative energy and a 30-foot blast from him and uh, radius, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Excluding one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Excluding uh, Lowell's, Tima. What's the fox's name? Floyd? Reynard. Reynard. <laughs> sorry. Floyd the fox. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh my god. Isn't it, don't you uh, exclude a number of people equal to your charisma modifier? Oh. I think that's how that feels. Not clear level. You're going to have to pick and choose. Ooh, Who do you burn? <laughs> Uh, this ray would feel no compunction about right. burning these people alive if he knew that he wouldn't kill them, if it meant he was harming someone else. Right. You, know? you might kill me or Renard, just so yeah. you know. <laughs> Yes, you would know that. Uh, so I'm keeping... Uh, oh, right, of course. So I'm keeping Tima, Renard, and Count Hazerton Lowell's out of the effect. <laughs> okay, but including Rip Tusk and Vaticus. Including Rip Tusk and Vaticus. <laughs> All right, bring it on. So this is a will save, right? Will save DC 15. Okay, this tree's gonna gotta have amazing will. Well, it's got some mind if I taste it. Eight. 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 I, I think you got a shot. I think you, you <laughs> might save. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, and Vaticus? No, no. You got this, Ray. <laughs> no. And Rip Tusk. This is a will. It's will a save. Will. Hey, natural 20. Hey, for there you go. Two. All right. Good. So half damage for Vaticus and Rip Tusk and full damage for the tree. What is that damage? 11. Nice. All right. So tree takes 11. 
Yep, Tree's, uh, tree's taking a pounding. Boom. Vaticus takes five, and Rip Tusk takes five. Vaticus turns around and glares at his son as though perhaps he's not often one of the ones that you choose to include in da the damaging. <laughs> oh, is he aware? Oh, no, he's staring at the tree, isn't he? Yeah, never mind. He's totally like, oh, my God, head fruit, head fruit, head fruit. Oh, wait, Free because he gets attacked, does he then get a chance to... to be attacked by the tree. Oh, have to be attacked by, by the, the tree. tree. Okay, yeah. yeah. Fun, channel. Lowell's is up. Lowell's likes to watch. Round two. <laughs> wow, that's not creepy. <laughs> the triangle man is up. The triangle man is five feet away from the tree, oh. and God, the fruit looks so tasty. Give me a will save. Oh, I gotta, I gotta take it, a big it, bite of that juicy, it, juicy it. stuff. Oh, that one. 18. Five points of poison damage. And you are now weakened on the wisdom poison track. Character whose awareness is weakened by wisdom poison takes a minus two penalty on all wisdom based skill checks and ability checks, oh, as well as on will saves. Nah. Um, that's all that would affect you. So minus two on will based stuff. All right. Okay. But, however, now you have suffered damage from the tree, so you can give me another save against the. Intoxicating stench. But as oh, now with a minus two, two right? <laughs> yes, with the minus two baked in. Great. That sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. How's a seven? Okay, no. You are still captivated. Oh, this is going to be the most fun oh, ever. I'm just going to sit here and stuff myself full of this fruit. Mm. Whose head? Whose head? Oh, uh, this one looks like uh, a small child who helped probably like drive like the the camels and stuff this way oh one of the one of the many like hanger party hangers yeah. on mm -hmm. that you lost okay oh yeah absolutely the tree whips around stares down into rip tusk <clears throat> your consciousness merges with the foul consciousness of the tree tendrils probing in your mind and then <clears throat> see this vision from from many years earlier you're nine years old you're standing beneath the raging sun in this natural amphitheater of volcanic rock. You're gripping a shard of that rock, and you turn to your brother amidst the cacophony of barking. The rock swings, a head explodes, and then wobble on your feet as you all notice a new fruit grow with the shape of Rip Tusk's head. Tima, you're up. It's a big piece of fruit. It's a gigantic head fruit. Tima, you're still far ways back. You can see Riptus, I guess, probably vomiting up chunks of disgusting head fruit. The triangle man across the way, contentedly eating a child's head. Do I have to do anything to hang on to Reynard? Yeah, give it an action. So like you can a, use a move a action move to action basically. To yeah. hold on to him, yeah. then I'll cast a scorching ray at the tree. Oh, are you in range? 50. Okay. Well, let's uh, take a five-foot step closer to the tree for next time. Clutching onto Reynard, yep. And cast a magic missile at it mm. instead. Choom, choom, choom. How much damage? Ten. Ten points. All right. Making quick work of this. What do Tima's magic missiles look like? Are they the ones that we saw before that were like the Darksaber 
Void Missiles. Are they, that, was that team that cast those ones? I think so. Okay, so it's the same ones, right? Yeah. Okay. Vaticus. Natural one. That's oh, all wow. he has rolled. I guess this is karma. Yeah. Um, okay, so he bites into a fruit. Let's now he's going to make a save against the poison. Two on the die. Okay. All right, he takes five points of poison damage, no longer captivated, and also weakened on the wisdom poison track. Let's see if he can break the... Yeah, good luck. Let's see if he can break the captivating... Oh, he does. There we go. Okay, so he's no longer captivated. He... The worst part of this is that I am not cognizant enough to be able to watch him do this. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> to appreciate it. He is going to attempt to tumble away from this giant tree. 22 acrobatics check, which is not enough. The tree mm. swings a branch down. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> Natural 20. <laughs> oh. 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 Okay. I gonna get out of this one. Killing the triangle man. Uh <laughs> killing, the, killing Vaticus. Vaticus. Oh, this is Vaticus. This is Vaticus. <laughs> takes twenty-three points of damage <laughs> and falls unconscious five feet away from <laughs> Rip Tusk. Bleeding out and dying. That's amazing. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Rip Tusk, you're up. With the Triangle Man being captivated, uh, is that still providing a flank? Can take no actions except to approach. I don't think he's flanking. Okay. No. Then I'm not going to risk moving inside yeah. the threatened area. So let's pull out fucking Dog Reaver. <laughs> Go to town. You'd have it. You'd have it out. You'd have yeah. It out. Oh yeah. And then um, let's start hacking at that tree with your axe. Let's turn. Power attack on. Yeah. Although. Why not rage? Um, its bark looks pretty thick. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to rage? Why not rage? Why not rage and power attack, right? Rage. I, 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 will, I will refrain from power attack. Well, I'm going to do it all. You, you, do do it that, all. you do know that I hit with an 18 when it was flat footed. Yeah, I'm going to do it all. Plus 11. Here we go. Uh, for an 18. That's a hit. Oh, all right. Then 1d8 plus 13 damage. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Uh, it's nice to be a fighter sometimes. Uh, almost max. That's a 7 on the die for 20 damage. Oh, my God. The tree does not look great. Holy crap. That's it. Very good. Ray, you are up. Seeing uh, Daddy go down... <laughs> Is uh, not oh, a good thing. Okay, he hates Tima, but he does regularly regularly treat me. feel a, a human thing towards his father. That I call it love. <laughs> well, these are deeply fucked up people. The, but everything that I've been getting so far is that he's manipulated manipulated to just adore his dad. Yeah, and do anything his yeah. father says. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm having a flashback to uh, when we were at the asylum and uh, Dora, I believe, went down and uh, Ray had to stabilize her. So 
Ray's going to move forward. One, two, three, four. Give me a will save as you feel the sonic waves in the ground as you approach the tree. That's a 10. Is a 10 a natural one for you? Uh, yeah, it would okay. be. All right, so you are shaken. Uh, minus two to pretty much everything. Okay. Got it. So Ray moves up to close with his father. You can cast a healing spell, is that what you're doing? Uh, no, I'm going to stabilize. Oh, that's a, that is a range spell. If you're going to move up and you have, I don't even remember if you have curing magic. Um, I have one curing spell. I was going to pull a potion of cure mod when I got there to pour it for him. Okay. But I could stabilize him from a distance and not get into the range of this will save, right? That is true. Um, I'm going to unclick Shaken. I'm going to take my turn to be, instead of moving towards Dad, I'm going to um, stabilize him from a distance and uh, stay there. All right, so Ray stabilizes Vaticus. Lowell's continues to watch. Top of round three. Triangle Man is uh, still captivated, right? Yep. And he is making a will save against the poison. Oh, oh man. I'm sorry, fortitude save. For, oh, fortitude save. Okay, that was different than last time. Oh. Last time you'd said will. Hmm. That was my mistake. Uh, hey, guess what? I rolled another, like, natural one. <laughs> okay. Uh, five more points of poison damage. Minus two more. Minus two more to, to my... wisdom-based things, yes. Wow. The tree whips around, stares into Tima, and tendrils probe in. She sees and shares with the tree a vision from decades ago. She's nine years old, standing on a blue-tiled floor. The foul baron looms over her mother. Something terrible is happening. She cries out. The baron whips around and slaps her. The knitting needle stabs into the baron's eye with a wet explosion of gore, and then shoo! Tima wobbles on her feet as a new fruit grows from the tree, and it's her turn with that vision fresh in her mind. She's going to move five feet, hold on to Renard, and cast Scorching Ray with a guidance. I rolled a 24. That is a hit. For 16 fire. 16 points of fire damage. The tree goes up in flame, and then... The door to the small gray hut across the way opens, and a figure emerges. It's a man, a bearded human man in gold and red, with a cloth headpiece and curled-toed shoes. He carries a book. Here is a picture. Mm. (laughs) He carries a book, a book bound in leather, cured from the faces of men and women, their agony forever preserved in the screams of pain that now adorn the book's hideous cover. A book whose touch has burnt this man's fingers into charred stumps. A book written in Arabic on the planet Earth by a man later torn apart on the streets of Damascus. A book discovered and then translated into Greek. A book whose second owner was burnt alive in Constantinople. A book hidden in the dreaming, rediscovered by an agent of the Whispering Tyrant, carried finally into Galarian, where it was translated once again, this time into the Necrol tongue, the language of ghouls, the language that fuses ancient Assyriani, modern Assyriani, Aklo, and Undercommon. A book that has broken minds and destroyed Souls, a book whose name we will not utter here. Not now. Not yet. The man speaks, and his voice booms across the desert wastes. Why have you disturbed my studies? 
Count Lowell pulls himself together, moves up, he speaks. He's trembling, but he manages to say, Oh, great Master Alhazred, I come seeking the benefit of your infinite wisdom. I seek what have you brought me? Uh, brought you? What gifts in exchange for my knowledge? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, gifts? The mad poet stares at Lowell's. His affect is flat, but the air around him literally darkens. It's as if a cloud has passed overhead, but of course, there are no clouds here in the desert where Alhazred dwells. You have made a grave mistake. The mad poet draws a colossal diamond out of the pocket of his flowing silken trousers. He holds it aloft and crushes it in his charred hand, all 25,000 gold pieces worth of it, as he says, I wish once more to be alone. And then the screams start as every single molecule of water evaporates from the bodies of the fools that made this ill-fated trek. And so it comes to pass that on the sixth day of the month of Serenith, 4715, three years ago, the Triangle Man, Tima, Rip Tusk, Ray, Vaticus, and Count Hazerton Pragmas Lowell's IV all died in the middle of the desert. No allies in the area, no allies on the continent even, no one except their murderer knew where they were. And as we fade out, picture if you will, the sand and wind scouring their dry corpses into flecks of ash until not even a trace remained to prove that they had ever existed. And that's the end of our interlude. Mm-hmm. I mean, Reynard survived. <laughs> oh, I didn't say Reynard. He's fine. <laughs> Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. WTPK. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Two tags. Season good. two tag. <laughs>